to radically paraphrase Johnny Castle, we're going to do our kind of podcast with our kind of jokes. Thank you for joining us for the Pool Scene Podcast. I've been looking forward to this episode because we're talking about the absolute classic romantic dance film, Dirty Dancing. I'm ready to do some dirty ass dancing myself. I, of course, am Kevin Bradway with Jim Sabella. Hey now. And today, for the first time ever, we're joined by a special guest, J.C. Warner. Hello. Hey. Now, let's introduce you a little bit. Would you call yourself... A dirty dancing expert, a mega fan, or how would you describe your relationship with this movie? I grew up watching this movie. I don't know if I'd say, when I was younger, I was a mega fan. I think I'm an expert at everything, but then I always get proven wrong. So we're going to go with 50 50 on both. Okay, fair we, enough. We can bring Angelina that somehow. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, all right, Jim, great. Uh, let's, why don't you start us off? Tell us about how we were living in 1987. Okay, first off, the number one song in 1987 was Who's That Girl by Madonna, which lasted only one week. The number one movie of the week of August 21st, 1987 was the cop comedy Stakeout with Emilio Estevez and Richard Dreyfuss. High recommend for you. Another amazing events going on in that year of 1987. Mark McGuire set the rookie home run record at 39, but he only finished the season with 49 total home runs. Bad after the All-Star what break, What a piece folks. of shit. What a piece of shit. This was pre-steroid Mark McGuire. He was small Barry Bonds-esque Mark McGuire. Also, big song, everybody. Bon Jovi releases Slippery When Wet, which ended up being the top album of 1987. And the world premiere of Michael Jackson's Bad premieres on CBS TV. On CBS TV, primetime. What, $20, $30 million video? Here's Bad. It's not pumps and a bump hammer, but it's bad. We'll, we'll talk about that later, 100%. But in 1987, Michael Jackson looked weird. This is when he went into his full white transition. Yeah, he he had like that's the right word for it is transition. He was transitioning like some sort of wolfman transformation. It was super strange. It was very odd that because you always had to go before the bad album, which was thriller, his great stuff, even in stuff in '79 when he was still the you know prototypical Motown singer who was phenomenal and could dance, and he became. Weird, creepy white guy. Yeah, so. PYT Michael Jackson to a ghoulish woman. Damn straight. Uh, you also mentioned Bon Jovi, whose hairspray habit in 1987 led to our current ozone problem. That's right. Uh, so anyway, last week uh, we had a movie which was made in 1993 that takes place in 1976, which was Dazed and Confused. This week it's a movie from 1987 that takes place in 1963. We didn't do that on purpose, but we're doing two movies that were made decades prior. Also, so we decided to do a movie not just for the men, like we're big fans of it, and Wheeler over here. Wheeler or Walker? Warner. Warner. Close enough. This is what happens when you just meet people. Wheeler, you don't know Walker, last Warner. You know, Warner. How to, you know how to fix that? How you do that? Pay attention the first time. That's a good oh. point. That's a point. Hey, I'm reading my notes. I'm doing research. I can't help it. I'm trying to multitask. I'm getting better at it. I can't help it. I so in some ways, this would But this is for the women as well. Yes. In some ways, this would qualify as what you and I would call a time travel movie, which is kind of yes. a lazy description, but it's it doesn't literally have anything to do with time travel, but it takes place in an earlier time, but it uses elements from modern day from when it was made. And eventually, we'll cover the ultimate example on this podcast. Which it is, is the biggest example that you could possibly think of when it comes Blues to this. Yes. Is the biggest Big time. what we call time travel movie. And we will so. cover that movie later on in the season. So we're not talking about that. We are talking about, again, Dirty Ass Dancing. Not the official title, just Dirty Dancing. Uh, that was the Colombian title. That was the working title. Dirty, dirty Ass, ass dancing. dancing. Yeah, I saw one of those uh, African movie posters, those hand-painted <laughs> ones. Uh, so the plot of Dirty Dancing, it's specifically the summer of 1963. The Houseman family is vacationing at an upscale resort in the Catskills. Baby Houseman, Francis, I should say, Francis Baby Houseman, 17 years old, and through a series of events, ca including carrying watermelons, she meets statutory rapist, <laughs> or I'm sorry, resort dance instructor. It was the 60s. It was resort the 60s. Dance instructor. People were married earlier than, like, younger than she was in the this film. The 60s wasn't that long ago. All right, we'll, we'll edit out statutory rapist, and we'll say <laughs> resort dance instructor Johnny F. and Castle. Now, Johnny grooms her to be his new dance partner while taking on the challenges of being a rebel 
and having to live within the conservative framework of the resort's rules. I want to ask you, um, and and we put this out on social media this week and did get some good feedback. When you think of Dirty Dancing, the movie, what's the first thing that comes to mind? The lift. The lift, okay. Uh, For me, definitely, it's the damn... It's not just the lift. It's the whole baby coming into her own. She's this innocent, like... I wouldn't say spoiled rich girl, but maybe slightly entitled. And she realized there's more to offer in the world. And she she comes to grips. She becomes a woman throughout this movie. Okay. My first, my first thought is actually not about the movie itself and has to do with, I remember this movie being on in my living room all the time. My mom would watch this movie constantly. And I can remember as a kid not really paying that close attention, which was probably for the best because it features abortion and whatever else. And uh, A big taboo thing yes. in this movie, which is earth-shaking. But I remember even not knowing much about the movie, being a small child, and loving the soundtrack. Soundtrack was fantastic. Like, I'm the same as you. I can remember... Sitting in front of the one Magnavox, Magnavox floor console TV, my mom putting on, I don't know, it would might have been Channel 23 out of Akron on a clear day, and Dirty Dancing would come on. Or she'd go to like First Row Video or National Video and rent this movie. One TV in the house, I had to watch this movie, and I hated this movie as a kid. But now, as we just watch it over again, this movie is fucking amazing. It's fantastic. It's so, amazing. You know what cracks me up is typically girls are the ones that all speak in emotion, and then you talk, like you talk about ideological i can't even talk right now this is my first podcast (laughs) you're doing great great. okay so you're doing great girls always talk on the emotional connection and the in-depth theories of everything and we did the reverse when you said what do you think about if you ask any female about this movie scene you instantly went to a part of the movie it's a scene it's either going to be that it's or the sayings or the lines of nobody puts baby in the corner or it's going to be the the lift in the water you all went into like your deep emotions about everything we're older we're learned you We're are not, not sure that much man. older. So I will say on, on your point, that's yeah. a, a good place to transition. So we, we put it out there on social media and we said, when we say the movie Dirty Dancing, what's the first thing you think of? And we got responses from both men and women. Yeah. Um, you know, we had one listener who said it reminds him he's affluent and it reminds him of spending his summers at a resort, which must be nice. <laughs> And we had another listener named Brandy who, it reminds her of watching the movie with her grandma in the living room. And now she has just introduced the movie to her, I think, 13 or 14-year-old daughter. And I, I, it was an interesting conversation for me because I said, that's great. What did she think of it? Yeah. And, you know, it, it's still a movie that's living on. We had other responses. The soundtrack, another, like you said, the well, lift. I think it's, it's how you pose the question then. Because if you were going to say, when you think of Dirty Dancing, what connection do you have to what emotional... Like, if you hear a song, it takes you back to when you first yeah. heard it. Or a smell or things of that nature. It brings back memories. So... My sister and I laugh because we're in our 30s and it wasn't until probably five years ago we actually realized what the whole theme of this movie was and the plot was the abortion because we watched this super young. All the moms had it on TV. All the moms had it on VHS. And this is actually what started where... We were all in the living room and anytime like a sex scene or a bad scene came on. Oh, turn away. Oh, it was. we had the Afghan. Cover your eyes. You had to do the Afghan or cover your eyes? Yes. To this day, if we see a sex scene in a theater, we feel super uncomfortable. Like, oh, I have to look down. I have to look over. This, this is kind of considered to be one of the first movies that was called like a mom movie. Yeah. Because it absolutely is. It's the ultimate mom movie. And we'll get into it later. But this was actually the first movie to sell over a million copies on video. And I would like to see the demo breakdown of that. Exactly. I, I bet it was women like 90, in their th- 10. 20s, 30s, and 40s bought yes, this movie. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's crazy to think of the view when I was younger to the view now of what I it's think huge. of the movie. Yeah. 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 So we got some pretty different responses. I mean, about scenes themselves. And specifically, got some answers that what's the first thing you think of when you think of Dirty Dancing? And it's Swayze. It's Patrick Swayze. Swayzenator, man. I mean, yeah. this was... Granted, he had movies before this. Like, he starred with Jennifer Grey in Red Dawn. He was in The Outsiders. You know, The Outsiders is a book we all basically had to read, I think, in every school in the world. Then there was the movie. <laughs> but this was it. This was the one that sent him into the stratosphere. And Swayze became a household name. 
So let me segue on that. We'll go into our characters section. Each week we talk about the characters in the movie that we covered. First, let me start top build Patrick Swayze as Johnny Castle. And let me tell you a story about Johnny Castle really quick before we get too far off. When I was in college, I took a fiction writing course. And in the course, you had to write a story, a short story, and then you had to bring enough copies for everyone in the class. You passed them all out. You read the story, and then the next class, everybody got to talk about the story you read. Well, another kid in my class wrote a story. Don't remember what it was about. But the first line in the entire story was like, Johnny Castle, when the professor said, what did you, what are your thoughts? My hand just shot up and I said, Johnny Castle is the main character from Dirty Dancing. He either like is expanding the Dirty Dancing universe or he just stole the name. And everybody in the class was like, why do you know that? How come you know, like, why do you know Johnny Castle? I said, why don't you? Everybody knows Johnny Castle. Did you ever realize there was this big, like, disconnect with Patrick Swayze, too? Because I didn't come across Patrick Swayze. Like, being a six-year-old kid watching this movie for the first time, you're not putting two and two together who's who. Now, later on in life, Patrick Swayze to me was Dalton from Roadhouse. Yeah. He was in Point Break. He's Bodie in Point Break. And next thing you know, you're like, wait a minute, Patrick Swayze dances? Yeah. Bullshit. Bullshit. Then you look at this and go... Holy fuck, this dude's got moves. Yeah. It's like, what the hell? Dude's got hips. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, Patrick Swayze is Johnny Castle. He's a leather jacket wearing dirty dancing machine who's never had anyone give a shit about him. He's a pretty sensitive guy, as Baby learns in private. He could be described as the leader of the pack. Is kind of Everybody goes ape shit anytime Johnny comes in a room. And speaking of the outsiders, he is kind of a greaser. He's yeah, straight up a greaser yeah, absolutely. in this. Dead on. I mean, he's a 63 greaser. Yeah. Uh, next, uh, and, and let me say this: If they were to remake this, and I'm not talking the 2017 this is an made excellent for TV point that ABC, I'm saying if we were to say who is the the Johnny Castle, the Patrick Swayze of present day, it's Channing Tatum. Boom! Channing 100%. Tatum started with Step Up, Step Up, a dance movie, and he's done obviously other dance movies, Magic Mike. Magic Mike XXL is literally one of my top five favorite movies. Road trip movie. It's a great road trip movie. Channing Tatum, to me, is absolutely filling that Patrick Swayze void in 2020. But here's the thing, though. Do you classify Patrick Swayze as a very good actor or mediocre with... (sighs) I don't know, because that's kind of an existential discussion about whether the role makes the actor or the actor makes the role. Because Patrick Swayze kind of fell into a pocket with Bodie and Point Break. But then he did Ghost. Yeah, he did Ghost with Whoopi Whoopi Joel Burst. And Demi. He was very versatile, but Channing Tatum, and this might be a different part of our conversation later, Channing Tatum is also known, though, as a mediocre actor that gets the women's attention, but he has moves. He's great, but he's not the best actor. I I would probably put him in about the same same ballpark because I I don't think Swayze was doing anything that was going to win him an Oscar and I don't think Channing Tatum I mean he did Foxcatcher I mean if we went to A to F I think Swayze and Tatum would easily be B to B minus actors I would say would you not say B to B minus yeah I think it depends on the genre that's a good point too because I can't see Channing handling Ghost the way Patrick Swayze handled Ghost yeah I would agree with that Rita Miller <laughs> uh, so then we have Jennifer Gray as Francis Baby Houseman. Mm. So Jennifer Gray is the daughter of Joel Gray, who is a Broadway legend, perhaps the most famous male in the history of Broadway. He was in Cabaret, which won Best Picture with Liza Minnelli. And so for her, as, as far as an actress, she had a lot to live up to. In this movie, it's Francis Baby Houseman. She's she's a rich girl. She's planning to attend Mount Holyoke College to study the economics of underdeveloped countries and then enter the Peace Corps. She was named after Frances Perkins, the first woman in the U.S. cabinet. So that kind of sets the Is table. Is this in the movie that yeah. they explain all yep. this? Yeah. Weirdly enough, in the car ride on the way to Kellerman's, there's one voiceover in this movie. So it's almost as if she's saying this from the future. She's telling you... That was the summer of 1963, when everybody called me baby, and it didn't occur to me to mind. That was before President Kennedy was shot, before the Beatles came, when I couldn't wait to join the Peace Corps, and I thought I'd never find a guy as great as my dad. That was the summer we went to Kellerman's. I knew all that, except for I didn't pick up on 
any of her background like that. I, I knew. Don't, I don't know that you're such an expert. I yet. don't see. I told Ew. you. You know, I'm an expert on certain things. So uh, we're nerdy as there, shit when there it comes was, to this stuff. You guys are there was a lot of discussion, and you can read about Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey did not get along on the set of this. Hated movie. each oh, other. Hated each other. Yeah, he was very upset. She would have breakdowns. She would cry, and he. You're just so mean. Yeah, that was Yet they worked together on Red Dawn. So you think they'd be getting together fine. No way. I, I feel like it came out in some of his acting. Because there were like a lot of scenes where the, he was he was teaching her to dance and she was just learning to dance. He seemed pretty angry at it. It makes you question what happened in Red Dawn. Yeah. It could have been deep-seated. Because Red Dawn came out in 84, so there was at least Wolverine. three years. Such a great movie. We might end up covering that later on, maybe in season two. So next, an underrated performance and an underrated role. Cynthia Rhodes as Penny Johnson, which was Johnny's dance partner. And this... You know, she was just, yeah, she actually, this was a big role because it does the abortion scene. And in 87, this is Ronald Reagan's America. This is still pretty taboo to talk about abortion. So for her to take on that role is a pretty big deal. The weird thing about her, like I said to Kevin as we were rewatching this for the umpteenth millionth time, that she's technically not a main character in this, but damn it, she feels like a real main character. She's such a staple, though. She has such substance to her. Her character goes so deep yeah it's amazing she pulls it off amazingly exactly exactly. family favorite jerry orbach as jake houseman (laughs) jerry orbach is the dude we had um jane bruckler as lisa houseman you have jack weston as max kellerman you got lonnie price as that little prick neil kellerman oh such an annoying douchebag you've got max canner as robbie gold another douchebag um who else do we got we got neil jones as billy kostecki he carried a watermelon Two watermelon, to be specific. Uh, Miranda Garrison is Vivian Pressman, who's just like Johnny Castle's fuck piece. Uh, And then Wayne Knight appears. Newman, a.k.a. Dennis Nedry. So, knowing all of that, uh, which actor gives the best performance? I told you beforehand, granted, Jennifer Grey, there's this big character arc. You know, she comes in her own. But for me, personally, my pick is the Orbach. Jerry Orbach. Because... He'll do anything for his kids. He'll do anything for baby. He'll do anything for Lisa. He'll do anything for his wife. He easily gives her $250, basically like, here, take it, do what you want. That's a lot of money in 1963. Put, I mean, that's a huge a lot of money. A huge a lot of money. That's a horrible way to put it. <laughs> However, throughout the whole process of the movie, it's a roller coaster. Like She admits that she's been with Johnny. He's disappointed, but she, he sees the light in her. He sees how much Johnny makes her such a better person and by the end he totally likes johnny castle and i love orbach because you think he's just going to be this prickish guy but he's a doctor he he carries apparently maybe painkillers on him to save penny he came out of nowhere even though he was apparently against abortion he kept going back to her to make sure she was okay he kept doing follow-up checkups i i think jerry orbach and his character probably is right that he steals the scenes i i mean obviously like swayze he gives a, a dramatic performance Nothing groundbreaking, but gives a, a good performance. Uh, so I think we're on the same same wavelength. Best scenes and kind of lay out the framework of this movie and uh, dive right in, see what made a splash. Uh, JC, how about you start? What's what's your favorite scene in this movie? Well, besides the ending, because everybody just wants to get up and dance, I love the watermelon scene. Yes. Yes. It's one of my top favorites every single time it comes on. Yo, cuz, what's she doing here? came with me she's with me i carried a watermelon or when they're dancing on the tree in near the oh the, the log lake. over the lake yeah. yes. the balancing thing yes so that's let's actually ta- let's talk about the watermelon scene so baby sees billy who's johnny castle's cousin and he's He's carrying three very oblong-shaped watermelons. Who we basically talked about, Billy. We think they've known each other for years because Kevin and I have kind of deduced we think her and her family have been going there for at least a decade. Yeah. We think. Yeah, I think there might be a mention in this movie that um, Jerry Orbach's character, the 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 patriarch of the Houseman family, saved Max Kellerman's life, I yes. think. So, yeah, they've probably been going to this resort for 10 years, which makes some weird logic issues. With, but uh, Billy's carrying three very long, oblong watermelons, and Baby's kind of just, what, wandering around yeah. and sees him and says, let me give you a hand. And he leads her into this... Up the steepest stairs Ever when we see him a hundred times, crazy, and then you walk in and it's just a different world. Yes, 
it's a totally different. They're doing the dirty dancing, essentially. I mean, you have the dance crew. We think it's the kitchen. It's the whole staff that works there at Kellerman's. Yes. Yeah, they're all dancing in this this All ages, room. races. Yeah, yeah. And so Baby sees There's no Johnny, limits back there. Sees Johnny for the first time and actually gets a little bit of a, an introductory dirty dancing lesson. So definitely a good scene. I will say... Obviously, the lift in the final scene, that's the iconic one. The whole feel at the end, yes. completely. Yeah, the complete final scene. And specifically, to me, there's this blonde girl, and she lets out this, <laughs> like, this woo. And I just, it's so, it, it's 80 yards. So it would be very weird to me if she did it just organically. It's like the director was like, you, you in the blue polka dot dress, I need you to let out a fucking fierce woo. And it's just so strange. And uh, yeah, that, that's a, a weird... But the, the whole final scene is like Johnny bursts in, interrupts the final number at the you know end of summer. Because he's already lost his job. Yes. And he's basically, fuck it. I'm going to do what I want yeah. with my crew. It doesn't matter. So, But it, it ultimately culminates with the lift that they couldn't pull off earlier in the movie. That's definitely the lift. Now, for me, it's a, it's a combination to baby in a corner. I mean... It's it's iconic. It's that line alone is pop culture. Nobody puts baby in a corner. But for me, if I can attach into my emotional side a little bit, when she starts learning how to dance with Johnny and he does the heartbeat, the it's not on the one. It's not the mambo. It, it's a feeling, a heartbeat. Go go, go go, go go. I'll try some more. Good gong. Good gong. Close your eyes. Gung gong. <laughs> and it's a slow process of her slowly falling in love with yes. Johnny. Yeah. Yet Hungry Eyes is playing in the background. Right. right. But There's, we'll get into that in the logic so step. In in a very 80s way, you know, every 80s movie, every big 80s movie had a montage. And this one has a few. But the Hungry Eyes montage where... It's like baby's first learning the dance steps. Like this is the early like where she's stepping on his toes and she's taking the wrong step because she has to step in for Penny at a gig at another hotel nearby. Yes, yeah. So that one's good. Uh, I also like the scene where Love is Strange is playing and Baby's actually she knows how to dance at this point and she's kind of taking the lead and Johnny's all over her and she's pushing him back and she's telling him you know. You're, you're doing the wrong steps and stuff. And then Neil comes up and says, I have a great idea for the final dance. Oh, we're going to dance. We usually do the mambo. <laughs> this year, we're going to do the pachanga. The pachanga. And uh, Patrick Swayze is super pissed for whatever Like reason. the world just ended somebody's yeah, shit like, in his cereal. Yeah, he's he's got some ideas and he starts doing some flashy dance moves. Realistically, like this whole movie is kind of just one great scene. Like there's really not any like bad scenes in this movie. No, there's so many. I do love the one where she's dancing on the bridge because it's like she's coming into her own of her own yes. self-worth and self-esteem. Yeah. And yes. every single girl, if you ask any, especially our generation, we did that same dance move. Either if there's a bridge, you will always see us doing it. Just like Titanic, yeah. how we yeah. all lean over. But in the sidewalks, if there's a sidewalk like in front of your house, yep, we I, do that same dance. It's so believable. She's a 17-year-old girl. She's fallen in love. She's learning to dance. I mean, she's having the summer of her life. So it, it all definitely ties together. It definitely... She finds herself, too. Yeah. They all kind of find themselves. Another scene, if I could mention real quick, is, of course, the the abortion. The, yes. the abortion scene. Yes. That, the earth-shaking abortion thing, which... Like Kevin said previously, this movie was made in 87, takes place in 63. Reagan's America, very taboo. Yet, you know, Johnny sees Penny in a kitchen crying, figure out what happened. Said she needs money for an abortion. They set it up. Baby, is that your name? Well, you know what, baby? You don't know shit about my problems. I told her. Jesus, Billy, now she's going to run and tell her little management boyfriend and we all get fired. Why not Skywriter? Penny got knocked up by Robbie the Creep. Robbie? Look, we no baby, baby. One of the counselors knows a doctor, a real MD, just traveling to New Pulse for one day next week. We can get him an appointment, but it costs $250. But if it's Robbie, there's no problem. I know he has the money. 
I'm sure if you tell him... He knows. <laughs> Go back to your playpen. Baby. Baby gets the money from her dad by not telling him why, but because he trusts her, he gives him the $250, and she goes through with the abortion. You know, and, and a lot Not of, that it's graphic or anything, no, but still. A lot of people will say this is the most realistic portrayal of abortion ever in a movie. Not that there's a ton of movies that are really, like, showing abortions, but in this one, I mean, I, I will say right here, stop listening to the podcast if you don't agree, but I stand up for women's rights. And I knew I liked you. And it's a, a woman's choice. So she, in 87 in Reagan's America, you had to get an abortion essentially in a dark closet somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was like a coat hanger a back, abortion. Yeah, back alley. So it's essentially a botched abortion. And they portray it as, I don't know if she's just got a high fever or what what is exactly is going on. But baby has to go and retrieve her father. In the middle of sleeping. To basically check on her because they think she's on her deathbed. They think that she's, you know, on the precipice of death. So he goes and, and kind of saves her and, and stands up for, for Penny and, and fixes it all. And then he, and Jerry Orbach thinks it's Johnny's baby and kind of looped baby into this whole thing. And Orbach gets pissed. Why did you not tell me what this was for? Basically saying, if you would have said this was for abortion, I would not have given you $250 for it. I don't, he said, I don't even know who you are anymore, baby. $250 is so much money in 1963. In 62. Now it's like, man, $250, shit. Yeah, $250, so much money in 1963. And he, I, I mean, I assume she, he thought she wanted to take some lessons or do something on the resort. It's just so weird to me that she was like, give me $250. And he's like, okay, you probably could have bought a car. When she said it, though. You can tell something. He, you can tell the way she asked something was wrong and he even said okay i trust you here she's like i just need it dad i can't tell you why i just need it but here's this is a female point of view no matter what era it's in he's a doctor you have to take an oath yes so i understand back then the beliefs and roe versus wade things like that weren't huge huge yet but why is it that i loved how this movie I have two questions for this, but I'm going to say this first. I love how this movie portrayed where Penny wasn't some dirty slut. No. Didn't care about herself. And when it came out of who the father was, it was don't judge a book by its cover. Absolutely. Especially with the Schumachers. I mean, there's so many different things involved. And and you see, I mean, you said Penny or Baby kind of comes into her own. And part of that is, you know, Baby kind of just stumbles onto the dirty dancing scene in the midst of all this happening. And Penny tries to defend herself to Baby by saying, I don't sleep around. Right. You know, I'm like, I'm not some slut. And but you find out it's Robbie who's dating Baby's sister. Who is the golden boy there. He seems like he could do no wrong. Yeah. So Baby basically goes from looking down on these type of people to kind of understanding them. So she does transition in a big way. Is there any other scenes you guys you want to touch on before we... Those are the ones that kind of stick out, to be quite honest I think those are the iconic ones. So why why don't we go ahead and uh, take our break, specifically our pool check segment. Pool check! As you've learned by now, every week, the movie we cover, the year specifically of the movie we cover, we do the top five music videos each. Now, JC, you can chime in as you feel necessary as Jim and I discuss our top five music videos from 1987. Jim, I think I went first last week, so why don't you go ahead and start us off? Okay, from 1987, my number five is from an iconic movie that means the world to me. It's the 1987 arm wrestling movie starring Sylvester Stallone over the top. It's the Kenny Loggins, the king of soundtracks, Meet Me Halfway. Meet Me Halfway across the sky. Now, every time the image in my mind, I'm closing my eyes currently, I just see Sylvester Stallone and his son holding on to the front grill of the truck and doing pull-ups. His son named... Mike Hawk. His name's Mike Hawk. Actually, his name's Mike Cutler. Yeah. His real dad's name is Hawk. So he'd be Mike Hawk. So he'd be Mike Hawk. Yeah. So that is my number five. And everybody knows Kenny Loggins. He's the king of the 80s movie soundtrack. soundtrack. Top Gun. Everything. Caddyshack. Caddyshack. I mean, come on. So that's my number five. Meet Me Halfway, Kenny Loggins. Now, I have one, not necessarily an iconic music video, but Motley Crue, Girls, Girls, Girls. Great song. So every hair metal video, you know, in 87 and around that time, kind of looked the same. They all had the same look. But for Motley Crue, this might as well have been a documentary. I mean, if you read The Dirt, those guys really like alcohol, drugs, and strippers. And that's what this video is. And just a reminder, Vince Neil killed his best friend. 
and if and somehow Mick Mars is still alive to this very day. Yeah, he's had a degenerative bone disease or whatever he has since you know the early eighties. Nikki Six has died like six times. Nikki Six has died twice. So that's your number five. What do you got? Okay, I had to Google this because I was three in nineteen eighty seven. I didn't realize how many good music. Oh, it's it's oh it's like crazy. Came out. This is this is six years in MTV. So MTV launched in nineteen eighty one. So August first. This is six years. In, so. Basically, this is really music videos hitting their stride. Because yeah. for the first few years of music videos, it was kind of just like there was live the same performances. Th- or the same 30 music videos looped over yeah. and over so, again. But by 87, you know, music videos hit their stride where people were like, we could make like a Peter Gabriel video with special effects and a bunch of crazy shit. So, so are you talking songs, though, or are you talking music We videos? are saying music videos. Oh, Lord. Yeah, because if we were going to do songs, there'd be a lot of songs that have horrific music videos. We talked last week, like one of our yeah. favorite favorite songs of all time is Gin Blossoms. Hey, Jealousy. Hey, Jealousy. But as far as the video goes, it's not great. It's a crap video. One of the video. best songs ever, but just not a great video. Okay, I'm going to go with just by scrolling right now. I yeah, go for win, it. Because I want to be a participant in this. Yeah, go for it. Um, I'm going to go with George Michael. I want your sex. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Because anything he did back then. Yes. Even nope. when he was rebelling, he yeah. still put out. He had the dangly videos. earring, the great beard, the nice he knew fluff hair. He never he denied always, who he was. No, and he always had like models in his video and really beautiful people. Oh no, the model thing was to actually say "fuck you" to his record company. Well, there you go. See, oh, I knew something See? that I didn't know. <laughs> See, you got this. I know what you were worried about. You got this. See? So, Jim, are you on number four? I am on number four. So, another great album that came out in 1987. So, now, a little album you guys have probably heard called License to Ill. Yeah. It's the Beastie Boys. You got to fight for for your your right right to party. party. Oh, yeah. Now, this video... It's a crazy video. I mean, it's your it's your complimentary 80s video, but seriously, three guys from New York, three white guys. Well, some nerds are going to throw a party. Exactly. And they start off and they say, I hope no bad people come. And of course, the party gets wrecked. The Beastie Boys show up, they bring their friends, and they start pie-facing people. That's right. Oh my God, real quick, um, sidebar with the nerd. Um, who is it? It's the, I can't think of the character, the short nerdy guy that we all hate that says the Pachenga. Oh, Neil. 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 He reminds me of the, the nerd in high school that always wanted to be cool, but never was cool, but pretended he was yes. cool. Yes, yes. He's yes. the fucking leech nerd. Yeah, every school had one of those kids. Oh, they always did. There's a handful. So my number four, uh, Jim already, so I actually had a tie because both of mine for number four were from the Over the Top soundtrack. Now, I took Sammy Hagar's Winner Takes It All. Now, Winner Takes It All, Sammy Hagar, and Kenny Loggins' Meet Me Halfway, I think they both use the same footage from Over the Top. It's basically recycled footage from the arm wrestling competition. In Winner Takes It All, so you've got uh, scenes of um, Sammy Hagar, who's not wearing any shoes, just barefoot, and he's riding through Vegas, 1987 Vegas. And I love Vegas. I lived in Vegas. I love Vegas because every time you look at the skyline of Vegas, it's different. It transitions so much and it changes so much. So this is 1987 Vegas. But at the end of this video, Sammy Hagar defeats Sylvester Stallone as Lincoln Hawk in arm wrestling. It's just ridiculous. It's such a great... It, it's a high recommend, everybody. If you guys have not seen the movie Over the Top, watch it. Because it's the most ridiculous movie you could possibly think of. I've never seen it. But does Sylvester Stallone have to win at everything in every movie? Of course. He has to. He didn't win um, Rocky Two. Well, we should... No, he won in Rocky Two. He drew in Rocky One. Yeah. He beat Apollo Creed in Rocky Two. Not the first... Oh, you're right. The first one, he... So- he, he you drew. After we go off the air, we should show you over the top because Sylvester I Stallone. I can't have to do taxes tonight. <laughs> made, <laughs> we'll show you the trailer. He made so much tra- money for this movie. He tried to not be in it, and eventually he said okay because they paid him ninety percent of this movie's budget was. Oh, he's a genius. Yeah, he is a genius. He's a smart guy. Okay, is it my turn? Yeah, go ahead. Go for it. My number four, I'm going to go with Aerosmith. Dude, looks like a lady. Yeah. Three weeks in a row, people. We got Aerosmith. Yes. Shout out to Jamie Grant again. Jamie Grant's mom is the biggest Aerosmith fan ever. So I will shout out Jamie. He'll be pretty excited to get another shout out. And he's convinced he's going to be famous from our shout outs. 
Steven Tyler makes American Idol. That's the only reason I watched the episodes, and it was only the auditions, because of all of his sayings. Have you ever seen? You need to YouTube all of his sayings during the American Idol auditions. He's a nutty dude. He's hysterical. And he used to keep cocaine in his scarf on his mic stand. I did know yeah, that. Yeah, that's why he had the scarves on his mic stand, because he used to keep coke in them. It's pretty smart. All right, Jim, number three. All right, number three, once again, I'm going to a movie. It's another great movie from the year 1987. Andrew McCarthy, Meshock Taylor, Kim Cattrall. Mannequin is the movie. The song is by oh! Starship. Shout out to Megan Beasley. This was her uh, wedding song with Justin. Nothing's going to stop us now. Hell yeah. From Starship that originally was Jefferson Airplane that became Jefferson Starship and became Starship. Which, how crazy of a transition is that? That they went from like White Rabbit, the psychedelic 70s song. Huge. To I mean, We Built This City. and Which We Built This City is considered one of the worst songs of all it. time, which I, I call bullshit. It. I love it. It's a great song. But this song alone, like if you guys are unfamiliar with the movie Mannequin, the whole quick premise is there's a guy that works in basically a Macy's, becomes friends with a very over-the-top flamboyant guy named Hollywood Montrose. He ends Hollywood. up becoming a window dresser for mannequins, and the mannequin comes to life, and he falls in love, and that's Kim Cattrall. And there's a sequel. And there's a sequel. We don't count that sequel. It's Andrew Ragsdale. Mannequin 2, on the move. No, that movie's bullshit. We're never going to count Mannequin 2. It never happened. It's a parallel universe issue. Never Mannequin happened. was the very first movie that I learned to cover my eyes that scarred my sister and I. We have to cover our eyes or turn away. Wait, what sexy. scene? Do you remember? It's the mannequin from when they did it. I think it was. Oh, that's right. They did it in the window of the. Yes. That's right. They did it in the window of the store. I actually forgot about that movie until you said it. And I got really excited because I love that movie <laughs> I'm and not, that song. I'm not embarrassed to say I have it sealed on VHS. Just saying, big fan. <laughs> I, I will do my number three, which is a little bit of a fake out. It's Steve Winwood's Valerie, but it's the 19. 19- oh. It's the 1987 remix because I think it came out. What it came out in like 82 came out in like 82 83 so it came out the original and the first version was just like white boy getting freaky in front of green screen so then in 87 they were like hey steve we've got better green screen technology now let's make an even freakier version see there's another thing about that song like it was released earlier in the 80s they re-released it real life send me an angel came out in 83 yes and they re-released it in 89 which will be a movie we will be talking about shortly in the wizard but they added electronic drums and it sucks yeah, and it's not great. Well, so this was the polar opposite. But but Valerie was good. A- Valerie eighty seven oh, yeah. was better production than eighty two. No, I agree. And it's way more green screen. And God is is Steve Winwood such a great vocalist. I think Steve Winwood was incredibly underrated. Even more green screen. <laughs> what do you got there, girl? Okay, I'm scrolling because I was trying to make it fast here. Um, I'm just going to do a random pick. I'm going to do Motley Crue, Girls, Girls, Girls. I did that number five. Oh, did so, you do yeah. that number you five? You can do it again, yeah. You can do it again, yeah. Uh, well, okay, we're going to use that right now. I yeah. might switch it, but for right now, I yeah. forgot you did that. Yeah, no, that, that pretty much was a documentary of Motley Crue. It was just like strippers and drugs and alcohol, and Vince Neil killed his best friend. And they were all hot. I was shocked. If you take the hair and makeup away, I was actually very Do you very think Vince Neil's still hot? No, <laughs> not Vince Neil. Have you seen him now? Oh, God, they're all nasty. Jesus. But you can tell. They look rough. They Tommy Lee looks pretty much the same. Tommy but Lee is he's probably still got. Th- oh, I can talk about dicks, dicks this week. You can talk about I didn't think dick. I could talk I about dicks. that video. But Tommy Lee's got the big dick video on the boat. Although, he does. I was actually shocked how hot he was when I, cause when I saw him when him Pamela Anderson days. I was like, eh, he's okay. Then I saw him in his rocker days i was like i can see why he's yeah. b- by far pro- the top, hottest one top five drummer of all time yeah no top funny five. thing about i mean uh, we oh, could go on we could talk about molly crew all day <laughs> but but tommy lee he was like a marching band drummer and he had like a really good family you know the other guys in molly crew kind of came from shitty backgrounds tommy lee was like a marching band drummer from a good family mm-hmm. and just that's how he could do all the drum tricks okay either that one it might tie with whitney houston so emotional so emotional, but I want to dance with somebody who was from 87 know, all, but, that, so. but I don't remember the video. My, oh, I can oh. I can reenact the entire video. I will say I don't remember that video. With that actually is lower on my list. Okay. The dance with somebody. So but anything Whitney yeah. in the 80s. Pre-crack Whitney. See? <laughs> Bobby got her all fucked up. Actually, Bobby did not get her fucked up. Oh, her really? brother got her fucked up. Uh-huh. Her brother, she actually introduced she was already on Coke. She didn't introduce Coke, but she was on Coke before Bobby Brown. Well, there Bobby you go. Brown. 
Bobby was all jealous, and then it was a big high fest. I guess he's going to have to take control. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be cruel. Listen, it's his prerogative, okay? Yeah. He'll do what he want to do. I got nothing else. So my number two is, I mean, how can we not mention Living on a Prayer? It's one of the white people's anthem of every bar when you've drank more than six beers yeah. that journey. But it's Living on a Prayer. I mean. Well, we're halfway there. I've seen it in concert. <laughs> whoa, whoa. You throw your hands up we're in the air like you're prayer. reaching for Jesus, yeah. and you're living on a prayer, of course. And everybody shakes their you know, head. And or you, as your kid, you make it up saying you're fishing on a pier yeah. or women's underwear. You, there's variations with this song, but it's an iconic what, rock song. What kind of kids did you hang out with when you were younger? Well, we all would try to do dirty-esque, you know, try to change the lyrics of things. Like, oh, we're fishing on a pier. Oh, I, it never did that. Underwear. We never did that. I'm probably taking this a little premature. My number two is Michael Jackson's Bad. We discussed it earlier. It's an 18-minute music video. It premiered on CBS. It stars Wesley Snipes. And essentially, it's like a West Side Story knockoff where they do like a, a big gang fight. One of my favorite parts of that video is when they're all like, squaring up ready to fight this like pipe breaks and like shoots this gas and everybody kind of just like whips their head and looks at it and wesley snipes is like we're gonna do this or what i mean this was a big momentous thing this was his follow-up to 1983's thriller he had to go big he went big he changed his color apparently he went big <laughs> spent the money became a white guy released bad but that's the thing. It didn't premiere Started on MTV. fucking kids. Yeah, exactly. He premiered it on CBS primetime television. A well, that's Alle the thing. Allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. Blanket. With Jesus juice. Macaulay yeah. Culkin. Watch the whole video. If you've never watched the full 18-minute version it's of Bad, watch it. it. Like, to me, I, I love these like long-form music videos, and Michael Jackson was kind of the king of them. Like, remember the time. Was that 92 had Magic Johnson in it? Yep, that was 92. Yeah, those I love those long form videos. I mean, Jam had Michael Je uh, Michael Jordan. Yeah, in it. he's an iconic. I mean, as an artist, yeah, no one can top him. No, absolutely not. But it's hard anymore to separate the legacy of his talent versus the person. Yeah, it's a question we have to ask ourselves, especially moving forward with a cancel culture. Is like, yeah, I love R. Kelly. But R. Kelly's like one of the biggest creeps in the oh world. Oh, my God. You know, ever since I get... So I was with my girlfriends at a pool party, and it was the first like hangout since the corona thing, which I call the apocalypse. We were like, all right, we hate the guy, yeah. but Ignition, can we just play it one yes. time? And we couldn't because Amazon wouldn't... Yeah, they, they pulled like all his music from everywhere. I but mean, look at I Believe I Can Fly. That it, was in space. Oh, yeah. my it's, God. It's, just, it's so difficult because with Michael Jackson, you almost wonder, and, and this is a whole different conversation, but you almost wonder if Michael Jackson's legacy didn't help him out in some of these trials and stuff because how was it possible to get right. fair jurors who were like, I have no idea who Michael Jackson is. This is just some bleach dude There's to me. no one that doesn't. No, exactly. So there was just no way you could have a fair trial for Michael Jackson. So, I mean, believe what you want, but again, if you separate the music and the person, unbelievable. Unbelievable, if you can separate. All right, JC, number two for you. Number two, I got to go with Heart Alone. Yeah. That is one. I mean, every one of our girl trips, bachelorette parties, limo rides, even in the car. Yeah, kick-ass female band that could go with any band. I mean, and, and that's, that's a belter, that song. Oh. Like, that's like a karaoke song if you can sing. Even if you can't sing, Even I can't, can't sing, sing and I think I can. It. I can match pitch in the car with the and volume really Carrie loud. Underwood, that was, I think, her breakout song on American Idol. That actually is what, no joke, and I hate to say this, it's kind of embarrassing. That is when I actually heard the song and I was interested in it. Yeah. And it was when she sang it, and I was I, like, oh, my God. Nancy Wilson, I mean, it's just unbelievable the way that she belts that song. It's fantastic. All Like I said, all those like kind of hair metal and, and that genre of rock, all the videos were kind of the same. It was just like live performance, the same type of lights, the same type, type of hair and everything, but fantastic song. All right, Jim, so your number one video of 1987. A lot of you might not know this. But my favorite album of all time is No Jacket Required by Phil Collins. So this one is going to be Genesis's or Genesis Land of Confusion. The fucking puppet video. The craziest fucking video for 1987. See, it's all puppet made. It's all practical. This is effects. what I was getting at earlier, where like MTV launched in 1981, but it was a lot of live performance videos. 
And like by '87, that's when like people were like, "We can have big budgets. We can like do crazy stuff." Like Aha's Take on Me yeah. that came out in '85. If you want to go even earlier, look at Dire Straits, Money for Nothing. Yeah. That ascended itself amazing. I, that was ahead of its time. It looks like a Sega Saturn game. Basically. And then you come to this, which it's all puppet animation. Yeah, it's nuts. It's Reagan, and he's like drowning in yes. his waterbed. And but you have the Phil Collins puppet, which yeah. is frightening looking. But I, I'd love to have it. <laughs> I would have it. I oh I got goodness. framed pictures of No Jacker Required all I, around my house right here. So. Yeah, I, uh, video's crazy. I mean, it's it had like a, a deeper political concept, but just the fact that they made these, these puppets. And I'm surprised that Phil Collins... Approved that puppet of himself. He didn't do himself any favors. No, where they were like, "Hey, Phil, oh. are you cool with this?" And he's like, "Yeah, it looks." But great. if you if you read the lyrics and just as you're listening to the song, read the lyrics. It is Reagan's America in '87. Yeah, it's Reagan's America. Yeah, it's funny that they were so unhappy with America in 1987 because they should <laughs> fast forward basically 33 years. But, you know, and you're coming up on an election year, and <laughs> there you go. But yeah, yeah, Land of Confusion is my. Number one. So, I did have to Google that, and those puppets are scary. They're very freaky. So, I mean, they all are, but it's man. Scary. I won't spend any time on my number one because I actually had Beastie Boys, Fight for Your Right to Party, and uh, my favorite line from that song was, uh, Mom threw away your best porno oh, mag. Which is very 87 because, you know, when we were kids, we could just find porno mags in a log in the woods. Or your grandparents' house in the yeah. bathroom, 70s era Playboys. Yeah. I don't think porno mags even exist anymore. I don't think magazines exist Who anymore. Who really would want a porno mag anymore? Yeah. Think about it. It's gross. Yeah. So that was my number one. No, no need to spend any more time on it. Yeah, mine's quick. It's Whitney Houston Dance with Somebody. It's kind of self-explanatory. Ultimate wedding anthem. Yeah, so we, we did miss it a is. very, very, very iconic one. Actually, a couple, but one, White Snake, White Snake, Here I Go Again. I almost put that is on my Tony and Dance Under the Hood of the Jaguar. David Coverdale. Man, yep. that's an iconic video. You have Paul Simon, You Can Call Me Al. Chevy Chase in the music which Chevy video. Chase sings the video, like lip syncs the video, while... Paul Simon keeps trying to sing his own song, and Chevy Chase just interrupts him. I have Moni Moni from Billy Idol, which is a remake, but still, that song holds a special place in my heart, basically because music video is great, too, and that's what makes a great song, as well as an accompanying music video. I can never forget seventh grade dance. I'm wearing a yeah. silk jacket, silk shirt, silk pants. Sweating through all of it. Penny loafers. By the time I got home, I looked like a fucking paint-by-numbers. However... They played Moni Moni, and the big chorus in the middle, my buddies at the time tell me, you got to say it like this. Say, hey, <laughs> you and me, let's get fucked. And yeah. we would say that over and over yeah, again. I, I used to be a wedding videographer. Yes. Every time they play Moni Moni, people would sing fucking horny. Yes. <laughs> and being <laughs> a seventh grader, I <laughs> didn't know what horny. I thought red light special was a fucking Kmart thing. I didn't even know what making oh love was. God. I thought I'll it was kissing. I'll give you the red, red light special. All through the night. All through the night. So wait, what is it? I thought it was, hey, hey, what do you say? Let's get fucked. I thought it was, say, hey, you and me, let's get fucked. I have no idea. <laughs> that is so funny. I'll have to look it up later. Yeah. Uh, you also had Crowded House, Don't Dream It's Over. Oh, such Fantastic a great song. song. Love that band. And then Poison Talk Dirty to Me, which is essentially the same video as Motley Crue's Girls, Girls, Girls. I also have another soundtrack recommendation. Bob Seger's Shakedown, Beverly Hills Cop 2 soundtrack. Yeah. Another great video. If you're not familiar with the movie, that movie, that whole music video is basically a trailer. So there you go. That's another great one. All right. Well, I guess every... Hungry Eyes Eric Carmen. Yeah. <laughs> Cleveland boy. Yep. All right, Jim. You let them know. Wait, I do have one more thing to say. I like that they actually sang versus if you hear music today and the music videos, it's so auto-tuned yeah. that mm -hmm. they actually use their real voices. To me, there was more talent back then. Than I now. totally agree. Yeah. That's all I had to say but about that. But nobody in 87 could live up to what Young Dolph's doing in music videos oh, in 2020. Jesus. Yeah. The who? We'll, oh, next. We'll talk we'll about it off air. <laughs> yeah. Jim, you want to? Everybody back in the pool. All right, so before we go into the logic of this movie, and there are some things to touch on, I do want to ask a question, a very serious question about this movie. What do you guys think happened to Johnny and Baby after this, this movie ends? I think that they broke up. They might have had a fairy tale for a minute, and they found themselves, and then they walked away. I think you are 100% right on. I think... Baby's going to college. Johnny's a grown-ass man. And mm -hmm. I just think, like, they might have wrote a couple letters 
Well, you can always say if we want to be all fairy tale, never, never land kind of deal. Um, not because we just talked about Michael Jackson, not that Neverland. It could be okay. There's that one true love, and okay, he made me see things, and now I'm a woman. Yeah, I, I absolutely think she was a- actually in love. Absolutely, but first loves, they're, they yes. never die. But there's yes. a time to say goodbye. That's just my yeah. There's there's take no on way it. that relationship continued. No way. Okay, this is what I thought, and maybe this is my whole pie in the sky thinking. I'm thinking for at least six months after they went home, okay? Baby, the Housemans are all back home. Johnny is trying to go from job to job. Maybe he gets that union job that his dad was trying to hook him up with. Painters so, and plasterers. So I'm thinking maybe <laughs> I'm thinking maybe once a week he's still using the rotary phone saying, hey, what's up? How's it going? I hope everything's going good at home. I love you. I love you, Bob. This goes on for six months. He finally gets a gig he can't refuse. Say it's on a cruise ship. Cruise ships started becoming popular. He's going to be out at sea, can't reach her on the phone. Then they start drifting more and more apart, and that's it. So I'm thinking this is going to last a whole maybe eight months tops. But it was a transitional thing. After they finally go their own ways, she knows what she needs as as a collegiate woman. She's meeting more guys who maybe she's comparing them a little bit to Johnny, but maybe more aspects of Johnny that she loved. She sees another guy. I mean, I I think we probably all can remember our first love and everything, but you know what's absolutely heartbreaking about we, we all kind of had the consensus that this relationship didn't last. But the heartbreaking thing is, is I think you know better what, than I do. What, what does baby say to Johnny? I have it right here in quote. Now, right after the scene where her dad, Dr. Hausman, takes care of Penny because it looks like Penny's going to die. They go back to the clubhouse, the staff clubhouse, and she says, and I quote, you are not scared of anything. I don't Me? know. I'm scared of everything. I'm scared of what I saw. I'm scared of what I did, of who I am. And most of all, I'm scared of walking out of this room and never feeling the rest of my whole life the way I feel when I'm with you. And then they kiss and they make love for the very first time. God, how, like, I uh, like have chills almost because what a, a heavy thing to say to somebody. And just because she's a 17-year-old girl doesn't mean she doesn't absolutely feel they it in her feel, bones. Yeah, they absolutely. So she feels that way that this, life's never going to be as great as it is with you. But there's just no chance in hell that this relationship lasts. No, not at no. all. No. And on top of it, let's just keep it real. Those super tough guys are super insecure. So now the baby's kind of coming to her own. He's those tough guys go for the ones that are weaker because yeah. it makes them feel well, valued. And, and that's kind of a logic issue. So let's let's just go ahead and transition right into logic. So my first thing in the logic section of this podcast is that Johnny is 25 and baby's 17. So in the 60s, I guess maybe that wasn't as big of a deal, but currently that's absolutely statutory rape that's against the law i think in majority of states johnny grew like he's been doing this at least a few years as we understand is johnny like grooming a young girl each year to kind of do this now me and you both said at the very beginning of the movie is implied that him and his friends need to take care of the guests by basically any means necessary yes so So max max is doing he's telling the staff he's basically bungalow babes yeah he's basically telling the staff sleep with the guests until Johnny comes in and it's almost implied like, you know, they don't like Johnny. So they're telling Johnny, like, keep your hands off the guests. No, I actually think it was keep them off the younger guests, but I think it was. Well, the, maybe, the moms, maybe it is the older. Ones. Yeah. So I, I feel like Johnny's kind of been grooming these girls each year. You know, this is kind of his deal. So he's probably a bit of a hothead if, if baby goes away to college and she's like meeting more sophisticated guys. I can just feel Johnny being like, you know, baby, are you talking to this bookworm guy like baby suggested after the first time they made love how many people have you been yeah and he basically says listen these rich people come here and they make me feel important like what i mean matters but i I, they weren't using me i was using them yes it's so it's like what the hell's going on yeah but i you don't look at him like he's just sleeping around for benefit you know there's something somewhat wholesome about him even though in the very beginning he comes off a little dickish and standoffish greaser mentality if i may say but he grows throughout just like baby do we think i mean this is another logic point do we think that this is the first time that baby has seen johnny because as we understand, I mean, the housemen seem to have a good relationship with Max Kellerman, who owns the resort. And Johnny said he was there last season. Yeah. So how did Baby not see Johnny or she did and she just didn't notice him? I guess she's hornier now. She's 17. 
Well, you have to realize, too, she's 17, and last year she would have been 16, Where and it could be 15, depending on yeah. when her birthday was. So she could have been awkward, and you saw in the beginning how the kids were, there was different levels of socially or socializing with the kids. So she could have been in the younger groups of things yeah. versus the more adult. Yeah, she area. may have seen Johnny, but n- not even looked twice at him. Well, I've known people where we all grew up in this town, and I didn't know the person at all until I run into them. It finally could have taken something in this summer where she looks at him and something just clicks. clicks. Yeah. To me, it, they weren't supposed to meet until this summer. It was meant to be. Those. That's how I feel. Boom. Yeah. So my, my next logic issue, the Kellerman's seem to specifically hate Johnny very badly. They treat him differently than they treat all the other staff. It seems he's a threat. But why? But it's such a this is what I think too that really agitates me. There is such a social class issue here that dates basically back to the early 20th century, okay? They see these these dance kids, these ruffians as trash even though they contribute every year to more and more people coming to want to learn how to dance. Yes. Yet they're just, in a way, they're not even looked at like cash cows. They're just like, eh, whatever. Like in the very beginning when him and Penny are dancing, Max and his nerdy little shit nephew or whatever get all pissy and say, oh, there they go again. Meanwhile, everybody in the crowd of all ages are smiling and dancing along with them. Which you just proved my point of why Johnny's a threat. Because he's influential. They can't control him. Yes. But then why don't they just replace him? Because he brings I mean, they're in going too much to, money. They're well, going to because of baby. Neil threatens the replacement if he doesn't want to do the pachanga or the pachanga, as Johnny calls it. Yeah, I just don't understand. But under- Neil thinks he has more power than what... Exactly. Yeah, I just don't understand why they're just not like, there's lots of dance instructors out there, we'll get another. Okay, here's this is kind of going left field just because I watch way too many conspiracy theories. JFK could not replace... J. J. What is it? J. Edgar Hoover. Hoover. We're just going to say Hoover. Um, Because he knew too much shit. He had too much power. Yeah. He cross-dressed. Take it away from that. He was a threat because he had too much power. They couldn't replace him. I guess the other explanation is is when did the the dirty dancing really, really take off? Because, you know, the year prior, it might not have been as big of a deal. You know, it might have just been something they started getting into. The actual movie or the dancing? The dancing. Like the the style of dancing, the dirt, because you got to think the this, very sexy this nature. Is, this is yeah, this is early sixties. Like we're heading towards Vietnam, you know, we're heading towards free love, we're heading towards hippies. The older population is still doing doo wop yeah. and all that stuff. So it might have been a timing thing where before, you know, Johnny didn't even know about this style of dancing, and he might. You have to remember, Johnny it. does other gigs too. Like in this movie, he had a gig at another hotel, so he probably learned all this stuff. Like yeah. he mentioned how he wanted to do like a Cuban mix. Yeah. So he has a whole Latin feel to him well, as well. Is we'll talk about it in the legacy of this movie, but there's a prequel to Dirty Dancing called Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. So you find out that in Havana, that Johnny is a dance instructor in Havana. So he he kind of knew something before he got here. My other another legacy thing I have, which kind of drives me crazy a little bit, and maybe it's because of the Hippocratic Oath, is that when Baby, so Penny's dying from her abortion, and Baby comes and gets her dad, who's a doctor, to come check on Penny and fix Penny. They bring his doctor bag, Mm -hmm. and he gives her an injection of either painkillers or an antibiotic. Why does he have this stuff with him on vacation? Well, he's a doctor. But you don't bring your stuff everywhere just because you're a doctor. Well, think of it now. I work remote, and if I go on vacation, I sometimes bring my laptop. doesn't mean I'm working, but if I get a phone call, I can pull up my even, laptop. Even still, if you're a doctor, wouldn't you bring like your stethoscope and your... like? You're talking not a not hardcore... Not a painkiller. Yeah, painkiller. Maybe whatever. he had a drug problem. <laughs> <laughs> now, that would have been one hell of a twist <laughs> if you found out... Orbach had a drug problem. Have you seen his wife? You know she was on something. He's main veining Vicodin to get away from his wife. So I just thought that was a little convenient that he just not only has his doctor bag, but it's just like sitting there next to his bed for baby to just grab and bring. That's a movie. Yeah, that's a movie thing. Yeah. Okay, so I have one big ass logic issue I've had with this movie since the first time I ever saw it. This is a time travel movie. Mm -hmm. Here's my point. I'll go right to the very end. The main dance, the lift and everything. They sing I've Had the Time of My Life by Bill Medley and Jennifer Warnes. Now, Bill Medley was a member of the Righteous Brothers. This movie takes place in 1963. That song was not supposed to come out 
for another 24 years, yet they sing it. They know the words to it. Also, they do this again with Hungry Eyes. They dance the Hungry Eyes. That song doesn't come out for another 24 years. I also was like, okay, people can say, ah, it's a movie. They flipped it in there, whatever. Some of these are just directorial choices. I mean, the fact that it's like, we're going to make this hybrid movie where it takes place in the 60s, but we're going to use some modern music. Again, it's just a choice. It's not something that they had to do. I mean, what have this movie been? Those songs are great, so it's like, would this movie be better or worse if they didn't use those songs? I just had a thought. In the very beginning of the movie, Baby says a monologue saying, you know, it was the summer before Kennedy got shot. What if Baby is telling this from 1987. Well, uh, yeah, I thought about that. And then and, and she is 41 years and old. Just plug it in today's music. And she's really yes. back. Almost yeah. like Legal Their Own did that. So yes. that's what I'm thinking. Maybe, oh shit, I just got real deep with this. Oh, what happened if this was a whole mind fuck of a movie that Baby created in her own mind? It's well, a dirty dancing is it matrix. A Jacob's Ladder? Was she dead the whole time? No, or? not that she was dead, <laughs> but it's like a matrix thing. Like that song didn't exist. They didn't dance to that song, but in her head yeah. at the time, that was the most yeah, popular right. song. She, she and that's wouldn't what remember what to. song they danced to, but she just plugs in today. Holy I shit. Think you can, I mean, you can take it either way, but for me, the rule of thumb is if it's a true story or if it's a documentary, then you use the actual music and different things of that era and yeah. that time. But this is kind of a... It's a it's a fairy I mean, tale. Like I said, so, it, it's obviously a directorial choice because the mo- the songs that they used from the 60s were fine as far right. as time goes. They all they took place out. right when they were supposed we to. We double-checked it. They checked so out. So it was just a choice. I mean, other directors have done this. Tarantino does this a bunch where oh, it's man, like... What if this was this was all in Baby's head? Like, this whole thing. And she shook a snow globe. And but oh, here, like saying elsewhere. Yeah. Don't get me started on that shit. Oh, Lord. But here's the thing, though, is if it were just in her head, she, would, she was actually singing all the songs, though. They wouldn't have sang... If she was reflecting back, they wouldn't have sang the songs in the actual God, this is act. I love how deep. I don't know why I thought that, but man, this just got <laughs> real, real. That's super deep. Yeah. All right, let's Damn. Get, let's get you let's off continue. that wavelength. Yeah, and but that's the that, only logic the, point the I had. The last logic thing I had, it just a little bit drives me crazy, is Johnny locks his keys in his car, and I understand <laughs> that he couldn't be seen with Baby, and he probably knew that. Chevy Bel Air. smashes the window of his Chevy Bel Air to get into it. I can't... Imagine, like, if you lock your keys in your car, and rather than, like... Call AAA call somebody or, or wait for somebody. You just smash the window to get in. Or into if you just it. took a hanger and tried to jimmy the I lock, you could do hanger. that. Yeah. But it's for the effect because he's Johnny and yeah, he's big and tough. And, and then you pissed. thankfully the continuity stands because you see him driving and the window's still gone. But it's just And the Pileo song is from nineteen eighty seven. It's just a strong it's just a strong <laughs> choice that it's like, shit, lock my keys in the car. I'll can just we break. just can we talk about how fast and easy he was able to kick the post out of the yeah. ground? He just like It was like two notches and a yank. Yeah, it's like a four by four and he just Wiggles it out of the ground and just smashes the window with it. Listen, I saw someone actually hit one of those this past summer. Of like a four by four in the ground. Yeah, it didn't move. No, so. no, those you things are usually like twenty feet, sixteen feet. Not for Johnny Castle. That dude's so, a rebel, son. Fucked up. All right, well that's logic. So let's move on. What is the legacy of this movie? Oh, jeez. So I will say again to reiterate what I said earlier is the first film to sell a million copies on video probably had a lot to do with moms. I actually am not going to go deep on this one because we can go for hours if we all go deep. Um, The legacy is do not change who you are for others because Jennifer Grey did. Look what happened. Don't she change the nose? No one knew who the hell she was after. Thank you. Yes. I totally forgot about that. She Why did she do that? Bad plastic surgery. The lift scene obviously is part of this legacy oh God, because, yeah. like, there's like I think a Snickers commercial with the New York Giants, which was a Super Bowl commercial yep. where they do the lift. They've done this lift in all kinds of things as a parody. Nobody puts baby in Nobody a corner. Nobody puts baby in a corner, which is like a Fallout Boy song, but it's been parodied a million times. Uh, again, the 2017 made-for-TV movie on ABC uh, was one. Now there were movies way before this that had dancing in it, but this was the movie that I would have to say was it was the trigger point. It yeah. was the trigger point for like, oh, we could do something and incorporate dancing, but have a good well, have a good story. A yeah, it wasn't a musical. Exactly, because yeah. back in the old like Hollywood system movies like um, Singing in the Rain and stuff, they would the whole movie revolved around dancing. But this was like a modern take on how do we realistically work dancing and music into like a modern movie. And yeah, this like nailed it. And there's been obviously a bunch since then that have done something similar so absolutely part of the legacy of this movie also 
check out Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind because he <laughs> actually performed a song on his soundtrack and it is phenomenal. Yes, it's a great song and Usher covered it. Oh my God, it's so good. Not the Usher one, the Swayzenator version. Yes, don't listen to the Usher one, listen to the Patrick Swayze. Also, version. another thing about this movie, The Legacy, where they filmed this, I believe they filmed this in North Carolina, the lake in which they practiced the lift scene is no longer there. They drained the entire that lake. lake. Huge. It's a huge lake. They drained the entire lake. There are stones. It says dirty dancing. This was this scene here. This was this scene here. Where the lake was, there are stones where they practiced the lift scene. Those are the only markers where they did the lift scene. The resort is all still there. Some buildings have come and gone, but that lake is completely drained out, gone. Oh, that makes me sad. Isn't that sad? That is, but do you know because the weather was so horrible and because of how production was, that was they were freezing cold. So I, I bet, because yeah. we talked about how like so many scenes in this movie are just like pouring rain. Well, it's off and on where the, I was actually talking um, to Jim Pryor where the weather of what it seems like it's super hot is actually the reverse yeah. of everything. Well, th this was probably a real resort where they were active during the summer, so they had to film in the off-season. Like, if you guys want to see what this place looks like now, there's a guy on YouTube called L.A. Beast. He's a food competition guy, but he's a big fan of Dirty Dancing. He went to the actual Keller. It's not called Kellerman's, but he went to this actual resort and showed all the filming locations. It's amazing how much this place has changed since 87, especially with that lake being gone. I mean, that's you're right. That's a huge amount of water. It's sad, and it's a, it's a milestone that the fact that it's gone, uh, things we love like Geauga Lake, uh, you know, just uh, live, live and die. So let me, uh, let me when, when something's gone that you loved, what do you do? You drink some alcohol to forget it. So what drink pairs well with this movie? There's actually a drink that's called a Dirty Dancing that's Grey Goose Vodka, Raspberry, and Champagne, and you got to put a slice of watermelon on it. But that's not the drink I'm going to suggest for this movie. I'm going to suggest a watermelon margarita. Ooh, but I've choice. got some twists on it so you actually you need to freeze watermelon you get a, mel a melon baller and you freeze watermelon balls to use as the ice cube and you don't use ice you need about half a cup of pureed watermelon four ounces of tequila whatever kind you want two ounces of liqueur 43 and then one to two tablespoons of freshly squeezed lime juice and simple syrup or agave nectar you basically place all the ingredients into a cocktail shaker you fill it halfway with ice so i lied about the ice you add the lime juice or sweetener <laughs> to taste and shake it like you got it if you like you get a cocktail glass with sugar or salt and then you fill it with those frozen watermelon balls and then you pour the cocktail onto the frozen watermelon balls and you can add uh, mint leaves if you like or you can uh, bruise them with a muddler before if you'd like or mint as a garnish and uh, you can actually do this as a pitcher as well fantastic drink all right i got one as well so the rock Dwayne The Rock Johnson has a tequila company called Terramana Tequila. It's an amazing tequila. I know a lot of people don't like it, but this is a smoother tequila. Well, he has a drink called The People's Margarita. Of course, it's going to be called The People's Margarita. It works great with this movie. It's real simple. Two ounces of the Terramana Blanco, three-fourths of an ounce of lime juice, half an ounce of agave nectar, and one ounce of pineapple juice for a little extra taste. You totally garnish it with a pineapple wedge and some mint. Mwah. So the people's margarita is my choice for this movie. Get drunk, have a party. I'm going to add this in. I didn't know we were bringing drink mixes to the to the social hour. However, I'm going to say just get a cold beer. You can go the 8, the 16, the 24, the 40. <laughs> Make it simple and easy. And chug Everybody that shit. else is working blenders and stuff, but you can get right into it by just popping beer. Get an OE I don't waste my time. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So with that said, do we have anything to plug this week? All I can say is make sure you guys like, rate, subscribe to this, the Pool Scene Podcast on Apple and Spotify. Also, check us out on Facebook at the Pool Scene Podcast and follow us on our Instagram, Pool Scene Podcast, where we will have exclusive, exclusive stuff that won't be on our Facebook will be on our Instagram page. So Apple, Spotify, Facebook, and Instagram. JC, anything you want to plug? Do not... Be critically harsh on me for this first. You were round. great. You, you were did fantastic. amazing. You did amazing. So, you can come back anytime you want. Just yes. wait until I get really in the flow. Yes. These listeners don't know what they're getting into. So I will say this week, instead of cueing the card, let's cue Patrick Swayze. She's like the wind. She's like the wind.
She's like the wind. Thank you.